welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Beginning in Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the name of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the jewel were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, 
but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever." And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, and the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray that you would bless our nation during this time of turmoil. Lord, we pray that you make our land a place of peace and justice and righteousness and love. We ask especially that you would give our nation repentance. On both sides of the spectrum, Lord, we pray that there would be repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, as your people, that we would shine as a light on a hill, an alternative city, pointing the way back to you. Father, we pray this morning as we open your word that you would help us. Help us to see your word clearly. Help us to believe it fully. Send your spirit, Lord, as we open the word. We pray that you would show us clearly who you are, that we'd walk more nearly to you, and that we would love you more deeply. 
And we pray that you do all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name and all God's people said, amen. So where is the world headed? I'm sure that's a question you've asked. No matter who you are, whether you're online with us or in here, or whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, you're probably wondering where the world is headed. And the ultimate answer of the book of Revelation about where the world is headed is that it's headed somewhere awesome. Totally awesome. Not totally awesome like your totally awesome carne asada burrito. Somewhere truly awesome, okay? Somewhere truly great. These last two chapters show us that, and I think we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want us to lose sight of our final destination. You could say, yeah, but I've read the book of Revelation. I know there's a lot of difficulties along the way, and we've experienced a lot of those difficulties even now. But guys, just like a very difficult week at work when you're looking forward to a long vacation, we need to keep eye on our destination. And this is our destination, total, complete, earthly awesomeness. And it's important for you to really know about that because it's going to stir your desire for God. It's going to equip you to uh, speak naturally and enthusiastically about your hope. I wonder if people around us, people we know, know that we believe that the earth is headed to somewhere that awesome. Can they tell by the way we act? Do they hear it in our excitement and our voices? This will help us with that. It will also equip us, guys, to encourage one another. These are the things we should encourage each other with. It will also free us from excessive dependencies on the things of this life, which we all experience. And it will prepare you to die well. And I think that's really important. If church is going to do anything for you, it should prepare you to die well. And that's what this does when we look at this passage. So what is heaven? We've arrived at the end of our series. We've done 10 weeks in Revelation, just kind of a quick run through. We've arrived here at heaven. Heaven is a place where God is most fully present to bless. A couple of things from that definition. Heaven's about God. A lot of times there's talk about heaven and there's no talk about God. In our kind of cultural picture of heaven, you know, that you see it's kind of a light blue background, white puffy clouds, and like maybe some harps and an arch and St. Peter you know, really bizarre kind of comic book images of heaven. Heaven is a place about God. And heaven is an actual place. It should be capitalized, just like you would capitalize San Diego or Texas, but it's way more like San Diego. And uh, it's, it's a place where God is fully present to bless. And one thing you might not realize about heaven is that there's two phases to heaven. There's the way heaven is right now, and there's the way heaven will be in the future. And there's the intermediate state, which is the way heaven is right now. And there's the resurrection in new earth, which Christina just read about. That's heaven as it will be. So I want to just mention real briefly, intermediate heaven. If you're a Christian and you died today, you would enjoy heaven as it is now. Uh, Paul says in Philippians that you will depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And as we look at chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, you can see a picture of the intermediate heaven, way it is now. And it's a place of worship and enjoyment of God. But we know from the Revelation, especially these last two chapters, that there's something better than heaven. There's something better than the intermediate heaven that exists now, and it's heaven as it's going to be, the resurrection and the new earth. First, the resurrection. So just a little review here. If, if you died right now and, and you went to be with the Lord, um, if you, you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, your, your spirit would go to be with the Lord, your body would go in the grave. One day when Jesus returns, he will bring with him the spirits of all those who have departed in him. He will raise their bodies from the dead, bring their bodies back to life, give them new, sinless, glorified bodies. Body and spirit come back together again. 
And then he will also, for the rest of us that may be here when he returns, he's going to raise us up and give us our glorified resurrected bodies. And we need those glorified resurrected bodies because we're going to live forever on a glorified resurrected earth. Okay? A glorified resurrected earth. I think this is a very underemphasized thing. I remember years ago, like, I never thought this, you know, maybe pre-15, 20 years ago, never thought this about heaven, that heaven would be an earthly, real, renewed planet, and we would live in renewed, resurrected bodies. If Turn to Revelation 21 and 22. I want to fly through this real quick. You're going to really enjoy this. You need to see this for yourself because you need to, go, need to go, know where to go back to to see it. The first thing to know is that the entire universe is going to be recreated. Uh, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and the sea was no more. New heaven, new earth is a way of saying the entire universe is made new. And we see in Genesis 1-1 that he created the heaven and the earth. It's the entire universe. Everything's going to be remade. In Second Peter 3, Peter talks about how this earth is going to be kind of melted down with fire and that a new earth, a new creation is going to come forth from that. So he's going to purify this place. He's going to make it new, just like he's going to make our bodies new. It says that the sea will be no more. This doesn't mean there won't be any great bodies of water. But remember in the Revelation what the sea represents. The sea represents an area of chaos and anti-God forces. Remember back in chapter 13 that the beast came out of the sea. And so to say that the sea is no more, that there's no more chaos and evil. In the center of this new universe is the new earth. Heaven as it, as it exists now will cease to exist because it will become melded together, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are going to come together into one. And it's going to transform this place to make it new. Take a look at verse 2. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So heaven and earth will become one place. Notice, guys, that heaven comes down. That is the only hope for this world. A lot of times we think we're going to fix this thing. We're going to make this thing right again and all that. No, our only hope for this world is that heaven comes down, that God invades and makes things new. The life of heaven will come and invade the earth. And pretty much all people believe there's some sort of end to this universe. Even uh, secular thinkers believe the world's going to come to an end. But these last two chapters of the book of Revelation Give us the best possible end of the world. Because in the book of Revelation, the end of the world isn't even the end of the world, right? The end of the world is the beginning of the new. It's the beginning of a new earth. And one of the things to notice in here is when you guys pray the Lord's Prayer and you say his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that prayer actually is going to get answered at that moment. That's going to happen, okay? You're not just praying something that might, you know, like, hey, make it a little better here. No, you're praying for heaven and earth to come together, and it will. It will be answered. God comes to dwell with us on earth. Look at verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That word dwelling place there is the Greek word tabernacle, that God is going to tabernacle with us on earth. Our final destination, guys, is not for us to go live in a place designed for God, but God's going to come and live in a place designed for humans. That he loves his physical creation. He made it for a reason. When it went bad and you know, Satan led people into rebellion, he doesn't throw up his hands and go, well, I'll toss that in the trash. No, he renews it, he makes it new, and he comes to dwell on it with us. It will be a dwelling place with God. 
Notice that God's presence can make all things right. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, guys, God is the kind of person that it's impossible to be sad around. Have you known people like that, that are, have a bit of that, have a bit of, of God's character in that way, that it's really hard to be sad around this person? God is a person that it's impossible to be sad around. Some people ask, like, in heaven, are we going to remember our lives here? Are we going to remember people we knew and stuff like that? And the answer from the book of Revelation is definitely yes. Okay, you can see that in Revelation 6, the martyrs. You know, if there's ever a time to erase memories, the martyrs know that they were beheaded and they're saying, hey, you know, when are you going to finish this process? Okay, we will remember our lives here because the idea behind this question is that somehow God would have to erase our memories to make us happy. He doesn't have to do that. His presence will make everything right. He doesn't make us happy by erasing his memories. He makes us happy by giving us his presence. Not by making us forget, but by showing his face. He's the kind of being that if you're around him, there would be no way to be unhappy. And you will see how all the difficult things of life fit together in his sovereign plan and worked out for your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. The center of this new earth is the new Jerusalem. Take a look at verse 9. So we got the, the universe renewed, and then we have the earth renewed, and then we have a city on earth renewed. Look at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is really cool because God's people here are represented as a bride. The Lord loves you. If you're a Christian, the Lord loves you like a groom loves his bride. And I've officiated a lot of weddings, many of the ones in here even. And uh, one of the benefits of being right up front is being right next to the groom and seeing the reaction that he has when he first sees her walking down the aisle. That's how God feels toward you now. And on the final day, you will feel it. Okay? You might have trouble believing that, but you will feel that on the final day. The, the church appears as his bride. This city comes down out of heaven. Look at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. This city, strangely, already exists. You guys know that? This new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven from God and come into this renewed world, it already exists. We know about it from Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, he talks about a city in heaven the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He talks about there being innumerable angels in festal gathering and, and that there being the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven and God, the judge of all and spirits of the righteous made perfect. And so this is a city that already exists. It's not here now, but it's to come. Remember in the book of Revelation, there's two cities, right? There's the city of Babylon, which is on earth. It's the city of human cultural rebellion against God. And then there's the city of New Jerusalem, which is to come. And you, you're a citizen of one or the other. There's only two cities to really be a citizen of. You're either a citizen of this world's culture, Babylon, or of the new Jerusalem to come. And if you're a Christian, you're a citizen already of this city you've never seen. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies like his glorious body. And what's really cool, guys, is that we as a church, as a local church and local churches all over, over the earth, we're like, we're like colonies of that city. 
Roman Empire would often, if they went in a new area, set up little colonies of the Roman Empire. We're colonies of that city. That city in heaven has, has colonies here on earth. It's the church. We're the settlements. We're the, the embassies of that city to come. One day, the new Jerusalem invades the entire world when it's made new. But right now, we've invaded it in little encampments. That's what we do when we gather as the church. We're a little colony of that city. Notice that the city is the one people of God. Look at verse 12. It had a great and high wall and 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels. And the gates had the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed on them. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the walls of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is really cool. This city, it's like, okay, well, is it a place or a people? Yes, This city is a representation of God's people living in community. And notice it's God's one bride combined Old Testament, New Testament. You have have the 12 tribes of Israel as the gates, and then you have the foundation. You have the 12 apostles representing the New Testament people of God. God has one people combined together from Old Testament, New Testament, Jew and Gentile. We saw this already, remember, in chapter uh, 4, when we saw the 24 elders. It was a composite of 12 and 12. God's people, Jew and Gentile, Old Testament, New Testament. Barriers removed as one people. Isn't that beautiful? And notice that there's gates on all the sides of the city. Normally, you just have it on one side. You want to defend that thing. The neat thing about this city is the openness of it. It has gates on all sides, welcoming those from all tribes and nations and languages and peoples that trust in Christ. And notice something else that's weird. It's a cube, okay? Take a look at verse 15. And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Okay, there's been something very strange about this measurement. And it really points to the fact of, you know, the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. These are symbols. I don't think that the New Jerusalem is necessarily these actual dimensions. This is something that's meant to communicate something. And I'll tell you why. So this is 1,400 miles wide and long and high. 1,400 miles high. Mount Everest was like six miles high. This is pretty high, okay? 1,400 miles high. The point of this symbol, guys, is that it's a cube. It's a massive cube. What other cubes do you know of in Scripture? What's the other cube in the Old Testament? The Holy of Holies is a cube. This is a massive Holy of Holies. That's what the readers would have seen in this, is that this is a massive Holy of Holies, that we're going to actually live in a city that is the Holy of Holies. Isn't that amazing? And and that's why there's no temple in it. Look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There's tons of images here being taken from the end of Ezekiel to show that that end times temple he talks about is going to be fulfilled in the new world being one gigantic temple. The whole renewed creation being the actual dwelling place of God. That you will have the intimacy of being in the Holy of Holies when you're enjoying the entire new creation. And it's a city, guys, of worshipers from every nation. Look at verse 24. And by its light, the nations walk and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. And its gates are never shut by day and there'll be no more night. And they will bring their glory into it in the honor of the nations. There's this cool theme in the, in the prophets 
where it talks about how in the end that the nations are going to stream in to Jerusalem, bringing tribute and all their riches and stuff like that. That's fulfilled here. These kings of the earth represent believers. They represent us. In the book of Revelation, it talks again and again how we've been made kings and priests. And Jesus promises all kinds of crowns to those who are faithful to him. And so what we see here is people from all different cultures that have, that have come to trust in Christ, bringing their glory into the city. What does that mean? Well, God has created us to make God-honoring culture. If you look in the first few chapters of Genesis, we were given something called the cultural mandate, which was that we would create cultures that serve one another and glorify God. That's what our entire culture is supposed to do. It's all supposed to serve one another and glorify God. And what's amazing is in the new world, that's actually going to happen. When he talks about the kings of the earth bringing their glory into it, he's talking about the diverse cultural forms that different believers are going to bring into this place. Diverse things of architecture and craftsmanship and visual arts and literature and music and food, all using our diverse gifts and the beauty of all of our different cultures to, to bring a cultural expression that glorifies God. Isn't that awesome? Kings of the earth bringing their glory into it. This is not like a monoculture. This isn't some sort of like where everybody's made to look exactly the same and everybody's made to live exactly the same. God loves the diversity he's created and he has a world coming where that's in full expression. All the best of every culture is there. Isn't that amazing? Notice too, guys, it's a secure city. Look at verse 25. And its gates are never shut by day and there will be no, no night. It's interesting when you look at the walls of the city and you do the math on it. So the walls of the city are 72 yards thick. It's a little overkill. You know, 72 yards thick. It's a little overkill. Um, and what's that thing? It's, once again, it's another symbol, right? It's a symbol of the security. Walls are secure, right? But notice something about the city. They don't close the gates. They got 72 uh, yard thick walls and leave the gates open all the time. Why? It's completely secure. There's no threat. How would you like to live in a world with no impending threats? Does that sound good in, two, in 2020? I just want that? Is want a world where you wake up in the morning and you're just like, what is there to worry about? Nothing. Okay? Like I deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, stuff like that in my life. And you know, when I wake up in the morning, I make a checklist of like, what are the top 10 things I should be terrified about? Okay? It's a fun way to wake up. Gets you going. You don't need coffee, you know? But imagine, you know, waking up in the new world and having nothing to worry about. It's secure. It's completely secure. Because God makes it secure. He's not going to allow any evil into it. Look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. One thing we know about history is that evil tends to grow over time and take over, right? And we see that tragically even in the Old Testament. You got this great family, Noah's family. Like, let's get rid of all these, you know, terrible people and all the terrible culture. Wipe it out. And then what happens? First thing Noah does, get drunk. Naked drunk. Okay? Naked drunk. Okay? Very drunk. Evil tends to grow. It came right back. Evil's not going to invade this new world because God's going to keep it out. God is not going to allow evil to infect the new world. We talked about hell last week, that God is going to quarantine evil away from his creation and not allow it in. But that's a problem, isn't it, for us? Right? Because we are those sinners, right? We are those people that could spoil this place, right? We're sinners. We all contribute to the evil in this world. Do you contribute to the evil in this world even now? Do you contribute to the evil in your family? Even now, so do I. 
But God sent his own son to make us able to enter this new world. And through Jesus, God found a way to welcome us into this new place and remove all our sin so we won't ruin the place. Um, Through Jesus, God has made a way for us to be saved from the penalty of our sin. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're celebrating the fact that the penalty of our sin has been removed. He is now saving you from the power of your sin gradually, right? So he saved you completely from the penalty of sin. He's now saving you gradually from the power of sin in your life called sanctification. And then he will save you from the presence of sin, which is amazing. Not only the penalty and the power, but the presence. In that glorified, resurrected body, you will not be able to sin nor want to. And um, that's the only kind of body that can be allowed into the new creation. We're not going to keep doing this, you know, rebuild, decay, fall away from God. The whole story of the Old Testament that goes on over and over again. Oh, they're good again. You know, oh, they're bad. You know, like we're not going to do that forever. Thank God. And we're not going to do that in our own lives. <laughs> I'm better now. You know, no, I'm not. You know, it's, it's this vicious cycle. He's going to end that. But let me tell you this this morning, guys. Whether you're here presently or online with us, um, God will only remove the presence of sin from you if you want it. Okay? He will only do it if you want it. All others will be quarantined outside of this place because they're people that wanted their sin. A really stark choice here. We can have Jesus or we can have our sin. And he's not going to allow us in with our sin. Heaven's a place for those who have seen their sin, mourned over their sin, and have come to Jesus to be saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. I just want to say to you this morning, do you want that? You, I, so do I, Dave. <laughs> Praise God for some interaction. Yes. Have you guys ever just sat back and thought about the gospel a little bit? So, okay, here's the terms, okay? He removes the penalty of your sin, which would be hell, Okay. And not only that, he's actively making you more and more like Christ. He's removing the power of your sin. Over time, I know it's not going like you'd like. I know your spouse doesn't think it's going like you like, right? But he is, right? It's real. It's happening. You might not see it. We see it. And then in the future, he puts you in a world that doesn't have any sin. And that you're finally freed from the desire for sin. I know for some of you guys, a major burden to you is that you still want sin. In some recesses of your heart, it keeps on coming back again and again. How cool for that part to have been carved out and destroyed forever. How cool is that? This is so good. This is so good. So do you want it? Surrender your sin and come to him today. And, you, and then you're a citizen of the city. You're a citizen of a city you've never seen. But when it comes, you can be welcomed right in. All because of Jesus. Okay, so we have the, the universe the renewed universe, we have the renewed earth, we have the renewed city there. And then in the center of this new city, this new Jerusalem, is God. And what's really cool here in chapter 22 are all the echoes of Eden. Okay, you're going to get a lot of echoes of Eden. You're going to see what it was like before the fall. J.R.R. Tolkien said this about Eden. He said, we all long for Eden. We are constantly getting glimpses of it. Our whole nature is still soaked with a sense of exile. You know, when they were cast out east of Eden, we, we feel that. We feel cast out. We feel like there's something we need to scratch our way back to, that somehow we need to get back to Eden. And that's why Tolkien's books, like The Hobbit, the story arc is Shire to Shire, right? You start in the Shire, you come back to the Shire. The Bible's like that. It's Eden to Eden, but better. Because Eden was a temple garden, but this is a temple garden city. And it, and it reminds us so much of what we know we've lost. Look at verse 1. 
of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. This is a river flowing out of it. Just like Eden had a river flowing out of it, this new city has a river flowing right from the throne of God. This image is also taken from Ezekiel 47. There's this really cool thing in Ezekiel 47 where it depicts a temple and there's water trickling out of the temple. And the further the stream gets from the temple, the deeper it gets. So he's like, you know, at first it was a trickle and then it was like up to my ankles and then it was up to my waist and then I was swimming in it. It's the opposite of the way a stream works, right? They get smaller as they go, not bigger. So it's getting bigger as it goes. And that image is happening here. it's, It's a picture of the presence of God renewing and making things right. And what's really cool about that image in Ezekiel 47 is that that stream, wherever it goes, like if it hits salt water, it makes it fresh. It takes water that's not good and makes it right. And so as it even hits the ocean, it makes the ocean fresh water. Kind of like in Lewis's Paralandra, remember? They they could drink the water in the ocean and it was sweet, right? I think that's another picture of what's going on with it. There was no more sea. Perhaps it's fresh water, sweet that you can drink. You know, but that's the image here. This water coming out of the throne is coming from God himself. It's a symbol of his presence. And now his presence makes things refreshing and life-giving and joyful and new. God's presence is going to flood the entire earth and make things new. Habakkuk 2 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it's a picture of Eden. You also have the tree of life. Look at verse 22. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Its leaves were for the healing of the nation. This is also from Ezekiel 47 and from the Garden of Eden. That tree of life was the way that Adam and Eve were sustained and kept alive. And it was taken away because of their sin, but now we see it given back in Christ. God continually to give us food and healing. One of the things this indicates, too, is that we're not like inherently eternal beings. We're being taken care of by God throughout all eternity. He's continuing to feed us and sustain us and and heal us. Notice that there's time in the new earth. A lot of people talk about heaven and say there's no time which is, makes it very hard to long for it because we have no idea what a timeless place would be. You know, if you have actions in succession, you have time. It's kind of hard to imagine any place it doesn't. This indicates there is time. We've got fruit each month, right? So we have some sort of time here. There's, it's not that we will be timeless. It's that we'll have unending time to enjoy the glory and the great things that God has made. So Revelation 22 gives us the impression of like, of like a beautiful central park around the throne of God. You know, it's like the most amazing central park with God's throne in the center. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's like Eden, but it's better because God's always there. He doesn't just come in the cool of the day. He's there all the time with us, permanently dwelling with us. You guys ever see those articles? They'll talk about like cities of the future, like utopian cities. And they're like these places that have the right balance of like, you know, a bustling city and, you know, the food and the culture and the enjoyment of that. But it's also kind of nestled in nature, you know, so you got this nature slash city thing going on. It's, it's the city of the future. Guys, this is the city of the future. It's described here. And it's actually going to happen. And you're actually going to be alive to enjoy it. And if you're not a citizen of that city, I mean, reservations are being taken now. I mean, you can, you can come to Christ and know that this is a place that's reserved for you. And God's going to be our life there, guys. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship him. Which is so cool. So you've got like the new universe, and then you've got the new earth, and then you've got new Jerusalem. And then in the center of it, you have God himself, the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
uh, fun theology thing here. Notice there's two persons sitting on one throne here. It's kind of interesting, perhaps crowded. You see what it says? It says that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. It's one throne, two persons. It's a little picture of the Trinity, right? Picture of the deity of Christ. Revelation does this over and over again. Just thought I mentioned that while we're passing by. This, guys, is where the absolute treasure of heaven is. Look at verse 4. They will see his face, okay? If there's one thing you want from heaven, that's it. If you don't get that, you didn't get heaven, okay? This is it. They will see his face. Guys, we're going to see God's face. You want to see God's face? We're going to see his face. And it's going to be a face that's kind and loving and, and loves us and enjoys us and is so happy we're there. We're going to see God's face. The older writers called it the beatific vision. Beatific means it's the vision that makes blessed or happy. It's the happy vision, okay? Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you think of God that way? That in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore? Is that where you think of God? Guys, God is where all the happiness comes from. I don't know if you ever wondered where the happiness comes from. It comes from God. Any happiness you've ever had, it came from God ultimately. He's the one we have to thank. We're going to see his face, God's face, and we're going to enjoy everything in that world in the light of the beauty of his face. Look at verse 5. There will be no light of the lamp or the sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. He's where all the beauty comes from too, right? Have you ever wondered where beauty comes from? Were you guys out last night, you know, having a Reformation Day thing or whatever <laughs> with candy? So you were outside. Did you guys see the amazing sky? It was like 25 minutes of like on fire clouds, pink fire. It was crazy. I don't feel like I ever used to see that. And like, as I get older, I'm like, I see these things. I notice them and go like, that thing's on fire. That's crazy. You know, the sky's on fire. Guys, that's where the beauty comes from. It all comes from God. If you ever wondered where it came from, that's where it's ultimately coming from. All of creation, guys, in the world to come is going to be flooded with the light of the glory of God, and we're going to notice all the time, okay? Everything we see now, we see because light bounced off it, right? Light bounces off something, goes in your retina, optic nerve, all that stuff, right? And you're seeing things by light bouncing off. What's going to happen in the world to come is we're going to see everything from the glory of God bouncing off of it. How cool will it be when you see any good thing, and you know exactly who it came from because you're like that attuned, you know that, oh, that's from God, and you give him glory and you enjoy it as a gift from his hand. You do that with everything in the new world. Worshiping God, guys, is enjoying all that he gives us and all that he's given us to do. And I think a lot of you guys might have a, this picture of heaven that you're like on a white puffy cloud, like strumming a harp now and then. Uh, not even well, okay? Real tired, <laughs> Because you're so bored. That's not the picture here, guys. The picture, you know, when God made a place for us to worship him, which is this world, he didn't make a stadium. He made an earth to do very earthy human things to the glory of God. And that's what we have in the world to come. Some of you guys I know worry that like heaven's just a really long worship service in a big stadium. And you're like, where's the bathroom? And how do I get out of here? Right? That's not what it's like. It's a renewed world where we, we build things and we plant things and we invent things and we create things and we do these things to the glory of God and we explore the place. And then we do whatever he's got planned next, right? I'm not going to add anything to the Bible. But God's a very, you know, he does things. He's on the move. I don't know what he's doing next. 
but he will have more for us to do and more ways to glorify him and enjoy him. So how does this affect us now? How does seeing the awesomeness of this future affect our lives today? I want to give you three things. They're quick. Don't worry. Okay. Three points of application. The first one would be imagine the kingdom. And I'm not talking like a John Lennon thing here. Okay. We have it on very good authority what the kingdom of God will look like when it fully comes. We know that the kingdom broke in in Jesus, right? And the kingdom is, has invaded this place, but kingdom's going to be fully here when he returns the second time. And we know what that's going to be like, right? We know what that, when we look at this passage, we see. And we know, guys, that we're a church. We are an outpost of the kingdom. We're a settlement. We're, we're an alternative city, right? We're the new Jerusalem trying to live here, right? Uh, we're citizens of that place. We're not citizens of Babylon. We're citizens of the new Jerusalem. And what I mean by imagining the kingdom is, is that God shows the world glimpses of the kingdom through the church, One of our core value statements on the website is, we believe that one day Christ will return and make all things new in our broken world. Only Christ's return and reign will bring full healing to this world. But until then, God has called us as people to bring substantial healing through acts of mercy, friendship to the poor, needy, and outcast. And so what that looks like is that as we live as the New Jerusalem here, we give people a glimpse of the kingdom and what it'll be like. And so I want you to imagine your neighborhood and what it would be like if the kingdom was fully here. And then do the deeds that will make it look more like that. Isn't that an interesting way to do it? Think about your community. You think about your neighborhood. You think about what it's like when God's kingdom fully comes. And then you do the things that's going to make it look a little bit more like that now. A couple examples. When God's kingdom fully comes, there will be no more loneliness. Look for loneliness. This would be a great time for you guys to look for loneliness. I bet you'll find some. The Sun City Gardens, uh, the senior center that we go to, we would normally have gone trick-or-treating there, right, by now. And then we'd go caroling. Obviously, we're probably not, well, we're not doing that. That's not probably. Okay, we're not doing that this year. What are we going to do? For those of you who have kids, if you guys could write some cards to them, make some art for them, and do it by the 15th, so two weeks from today, and give it to us. We'll get that to them. We'll at least have that to them for, for Thanksgiving. And then we've got to figure out, like, what can we do for them at Christmas time. Could we be like outside serenading them? I mean, I don't know what we can do, but we want to do something for these people, right? So if you guys could work on that, the kids, uh, work on some cards and some artwork for them. We'll, we'll want that by the 15th and we'll give that to them. But I would say talk to your neighbors. I bet a lot of your neighbors are way more likely to want to talk to you now, right? People are lonely and there's a huge gift of conversation. You know, when you go to the mailbox, like, don't run from them, you know? Don't look out your window and see if they're gone and then go outside, you know? Like, look for them. Reach out to them. Talk to them. So when the kingdom comes, there'll be no more loneliness. When the kingdom fully comes, there'll be no more hunger. Super encouraged by what David was saying. You know, with Cambodia, a few weeks ago, we were like, hey, there's floods. We've got our, our missionary and her team. They want to go out to this area and give food. And you guys were like, boom, here we go. Let's do it. It was awesome. Thank you guys for doing that. We had a situation last weekend. Family in our church needed groceries. The ladies on the ladies WhatsApp put that out there. It was like four or five hundred dollars, like instantly. It was amazing. It was cool. We were able to flood them with gifts. Um, we got another opportunity for you. Mason's got some handouts that so he's going to hand you as you leave. But we're going to do these uh, Thanksgiving boxes this year. We did this before. If you grab one of these, and by the fifteenth, if you could bring back a box with all these things in it. It's just a shopping list, and you can customize. You don't have to do exactly what's on here. But, like, make sure it looks like a Thanksgiving meal, you know? Don't get too creative. They're like, what do we even, we don't even know what this food is. And then a gift card, a $25 gift card for a turkey. We don't want to put a turkey in there. That'd be disgusting. 
But we want to do this. Maybe if we could get 10, 15, 20 families fed for Thanksgiving, that would be awesome. That would be a glimpse of the kingdom. People see that, and they see the church, and they go like, hmm, maybe there's something to this. It's like, yeah, we're citizens of another city to come. Do you want to join us? You know, Jesus has made it possible. When the kingdom fully comes, there will be only truth in that place. This can be super refreshing to only have truth. Probably half of what we read is totally not true in any given day. You know, we read the things that fit our biases and get us all worked up and we want to share to our other friends that have the same biases. But probably more than most of what we read is not true. There's going to be a place that's got fully truth. This is a great time, guys, for you to share the truth of Jesus with people during the holiday season. So we're going to get you guys some more of these Luke books like we did last time. It's a really cool, um, just the gospel of Luke. And uh, you can include that, give it to neighbors and stuff like that. That brings me to my second one. So imagine the kingdom, evangelize. The fact that we're still here, guys, means that God intends to save more people. You guys realize there's 7,413 unreached people groups still? 7,413, I got off the website, unreached people groups right now. These are people that have no access to the gospel. This is actually a completable mission, totally completable, okay? And we have missionaries in two places with unreached people groups. We have Holly in Cambodia. There are unreached people groups there that basically they don't have enough Christians there. They don't have enough access to God's word uh, to come to know him. And then Lorian can't divulge her location, but she's in a place with very unreached people. And so support that. We have them on the website. And then last, I'd say, so imagine the kingdom, evangelize, and then encourage. Encourage. Use these truths to encourage people. If your end times talk does not increase evangelism and endurance in the people you're talking to, you're doing it wrong. Guaranteed. You're like, no, I think I'm doing it right. Nope. doesn't matter how doctrinally sound you are, (laughs) okay? If you're not encouraging people to endure and encouraging evangelism with your end times talk, you're totally doing it wrong. The revelation was written, guys, to first century Christians to help them endure tribulations in a hostile Roman Empire. That's what this book was written for. That's the spirit we take it out in. We know from this book that there will be tribulations from the time Jesus is the first coming to his second coming, that we will have tribulation. He told us that, right? That we're going to have tribulation in this time. People need encouragement. People need encouragement. That's what people mostly need around you is encouragement. They need encouragement. You guys are right now living through one of those tribulations. And we could debate this, but I'm just going to throw this out there for your consideration. I think we might be in the most difficult season for the American church in a century. But it was a worse time. Not World War II. People were going to church then, right? It was easier to go to church then, right? You think 9-11? People came into church like crazy, right? We're in probably the most difficult time, maybe longer. I don't know. But we're in the most difficult time for the American church in a century. And I just want to ask you and ask people online and anybody that hears this, how are you spending it? Because I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to ask. He's going to say, like, my church went through the most difficult, I'm not talking about our local church, I'm talking about the American church, right? He's going through the most difficult time in a century. I think the Lord's going to want to know if we were all in. If we were encouraging one another, if we were pushing into community. How will you be pushing yourself and your family to be more a part of the local church, not less? Okay, and that doesn't have to be here, but it does have to be somewhere that you would push into a local church and be a part of it. And some of you are online and for health reasons, and I think that's totally good and right, but you can push in. There's ways that you could be pushing in. I just don't think when you come before the Lord and you say, you know, when that sent the worst time in the century for the American church came, what were you doing? And I don't think Netflix is a good answer. 
You know, and I don't think, hey, we got RV and we took a break is a good answer. So this is a test. And we're going to give you guys really soon some small group opportunities that are both like in person and also online. Whatever you do, it's totally fine. But the, the point is that we push in, that we really be a church together. This is a test, right? I just want to make you aware that you know, it would be malpractice for me to not tell you that you're in a massive test that you will answer for. Okay? Like, everything's cool. Do what you're doing is not the thing to do right now. Okay? And you can pass this test. And you can pass it by seeing the world to come. Right? By seeing what we have before us. When we look at the book of Revelation, we see this beautiful future that's coming. And we also see a hint of it in that the Lord, like through all this talk of crowns and stuff throughout the Revelation— do you guys realize that Jesus ridiculously well rewards people that serve his church and his people and his kingdom? Like he's, he's, he's ridiculously generous about this. You know, we see that in the final day when people are like, when did we do this? When did we do that? And he's like, you did it when you did it, you know, to the least of these and, you know, things like that. It's like he notices and he, he's looking for things to reward. Guys, we're almost there. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this vision of the future, Lord. Even in symbolic language, even with all of its images, which even makes it better, we see this beautiful world to come. The way we all know, whether Christian or non-Christian, we all know the world should be like that. We all have a sense of that. And Lord, we're so thankful it's coming. We pray, Lord, as you fed us in your word, we pray that you'd feed us in the taking of the Lord's Supper now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper, guys, reminds us that we're almost there. When we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, it's like we're toasting to the city to come. Okay? When you take this drink, you're toasting to the city to come. We're saying the Lord's Supper, come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, come, Lord Jesus. We're ready for you to be here. When we eat the Lord's Supper, we also proclaim the Lord's death for us. We celebrate verse 14, how it says that our robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that we have a right to the tree of life, and we may enter the city by its gates. And when we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, we also are given strength to endure. So if that's your hope, we'd ask that you take that with us this morning, that we take the bread, which symbolizes Jesus' body, and the cup, which symbolizes his blood. So let's take it together. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is given for you to preserve you body and soul into everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving. Let's take it together. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you to preserve you body and soul into everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Let's take it together. My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Lord, that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for giving us thankful hearts as we look to the future, as we look to the things you have for us. And I thank you that we can approach that day with absolute confidence, not in our own goodness, but in the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We know the kind of reception we'll receive because it's the reception that Jesus deserves. And we're thankful for that. Lord, help us to speak enthusiastically and naturally about that hope to people around us. Lord, may they get a whiff of the hope that we have 
in the world to come as they're around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.